Gotta love it. Good morning, church. Today I would like to talk to you about contentment. Do you feel content? <laughs> I am less and less. Do you feel content this morning? We live in a world that has struggles with this idea. If you think about our world, we spend a lot of time in discontent. There's a lot of discussions that get angry and, and mean, even violent. And it, you keep tracing these things back, and you come back to the same conclusion. These people are struggling. They're unhappy with their lives. They're unhappy with something that's going on, someone else's choice, their choice, someone else's experience, their experience. They can be angry for somebody they don't even know. They can be discontent on other people's behalves. So can we. So can we. Ever found yourself angry at someone you didn't know? Ever found yourself frustrated for somebody you've never met? For, on their behalf. We are really good at finding reasons to be discontent and unhappy. For that little bit of angst to come crawling up inside of us. That little bit of a, a churn in your stomach. You know what I mean? That little tightness that suddenly finds itself in there. You're looking around. You have no reason for this. But there's just this bit of ah in there. As we talk a little bit about this this morning, I think this proverb is especially accurate. A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy, you can, you can substitute discontent, frustration, anger, rots the bones. If you think about rotting the bones, it's from the inside out, right? It's saying it gets right inside of you and it works its way out of you. Your cholesterol goes up, you get fatter and balder, and you don't know why. Because inside your bones are rotting and you're just starting to see the stuff on the outside that is causing it. It's just that inside there's frustration or envy or anger or just overall discontent. I've been doing quite a bit of reading, as you might imagine, on this. There's just so much psychology today, the Mayo Clinic. They're talking about all these various ways in which our culture is uncomfortable or discontent. There's actually now, I love this, I love this, Psychology Today had an article on forgiveness therapy. I love that the psychologists around the world are finally understanding what we've known about forgiveness since the beginning of time. How important it is to let go of some of those things that are rotting you from the inside out. Whether they happened yesterday or 20 years ago, it doesn't matter. Once they get into your bones, they can destroy you if you hang on to them. So I ask you again, are you content this morning? Not just content with where you are, not just content with your seat. I know they're very comfortable. Kind of concerns me sometimes. Especially when I'm in a lull in a sermon. I can't think of a quick illustration to throw in there to get you back. Worry about those seats and how comfortable you all look. Some of you look more comfortable than others. It's always the case. But are you content with all the aspects, with the, with the, the elements of your life, with who you are, where you're going, what's going on in your life? Are you content? 
this morning as we walk our way through this. I want to start with Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at this in several different places, but this is one of, my, one of those goal-setting setting texts. Not that I speak in regard to need, because he's, telling, he's speaking and, and telling the folks who have been caring for him. He's actually writing a thank you to the Philippians. He's actually thanking them in this moment. He's saying, I, I'm not saying this so that you will send me more stuff. Okay? Not that I need anything, for I have learned whatever state I am in to be content. Note that he said, I have learned this. We're going to come back to this concept, but understand it is not normal for us to be in a state of absolute contentment. We are, as a result of our brokenness, in need of learning to be content. We need to understand how we reach contentment. If you've already reached it, this sermon isn't for you. Don't talk to your neighbor, just relax. If you already know, good for you. I don't think I've lost very many of you, though. He said, I've had to learn to be content. I know how to be abased. This isn't just broke. Abased is worse than being broke. Broke is broke. Abased is to be disregarded or hated or have people angry with you. It's, abased is to be in a situation where you've been put down. Not that you've, got, you've, you've found yourself at the bottom, but you've been thrown to the bottom. I know what it's like to be abased, Paul says. Now remember, this guy was riding the wave of the top of his world. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees in his own description. He was going about on God's business. He was going to persecute these Christians and straighten this mess out if he has to do it all himself. He was riding on the top of the crest of the wave when Jesus came along and said, What are you doing? Turned his whole life upside down. And now the very people who were raising him up are putting him down. And the wealth that he felt so comfortable in is gone. He's lost Nearly everything. He says, I know what it's like to be a base, and I'm good there. I'm content there. I think if you can learn to be content on the bottom, if you can be, learn to be content at the bottom, the other one's probably easier. He said, and I know how to abound. I know how to live when I have plenty. I know how to live with abundance. I know how to live when I have a lot. Now, this is where we find ourselves in North America. We deal with life in abundance. We have an abounding life in large part. And in North America, even the stretch of economics in our country doesn't reach where it reaches in most countries. We largely have to learn to be content with abundance. To not let the, the goodness and the blessings that we have cause us discontent. So we have both. I, I do want to argue something here. I want to put something out front right at the beginning. Poverty does not make you content. In fact, the Bible doesn't teach poverty as a way of life. Poverty does not make you content. I'll give you, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. I, sometimes I wonder about my examples, but I'm going to give this. I'll put it out there, and you can just condemn me if you want later, but just don't get discontent about it. <laughs> have you ever seen a person who has no place to sleep, pushing a shopping cart full of stuff. And when you see the shopping cart, you wonder why they're keeping that stuff. Because just like you and just like me, they're looking for contentment in stuff. They're trying to get enough stuff to feel good about things that are going on. 
something that will make them feel secure, something that will help them in the moment of a what if. They have not learned, like many of us, to give God the what if. What if my retirement fails? What if I lose my house? What if my kids won't take me in when I'm old? What if I have a, a really bad health situation come on me? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if will lead you to discontent? Paul said, I have learned to, to live on the bottom. I have learned to live on the top. I'm good wherever I am. That's the goal. That wherever I find myself, no matter what other people think of what they're looking at, I'm content. I'm good. To be able to every day wake up, look out at the sky outside, rain or shine, and go, it's a good day. It's a good day. You know the people that I find that seem to arrive at contentment more easily? Are people who have faced death and lived. People who have had really hard runs at cancer and survived, very often I see them just get up and enjoy and embrace each day. It's a common thing with folks who have, who have survived something really difficult. They learn to see the world and the day differently and they don't take it for granted. They live it. They enjoy it. Carpe diem, they seize the day. Paul has this, uh, this discussion with us about covetousness. It's in his descriptions of sin. When he starts talking about sin, he's tr trying to define it for people and help people understand how the commandments and sin relate to each other. He says, well then, I like it when preachers start with well then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? What's the answer? Of course not. No way. The largest negative you can use without cursing, and some think it might actually have been a minor curse word. In fact, it was the law that showed me my sin. Now think of this guy riding the crest of the Pharisee wave. He's the, he's the new kid on the block. Everybody's wanting him to come preach at their church. Everybody loves him. It's like, yeah, Paul's name is on everyone's lips. You've, have you met Paul yet? Have you seen Paul yet? He's amazing. You should hear him talk. You should see what he's doing. He's so committed. He's great. I mean, I've never even seen the guy sin. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And my sins were shown to me. The ones I would never have known, except for that coveting thing. When the law said that coveting was wrong, I knew I was in trouble. Do you ever think about the fact that the Bible, when it gives commandments, bookends them? It bookends them with, put God first. And trust God with what he's given you. Trust God for what he's given you. And let God be God. It's an interesting set of bookends. They're very similar to each other. There's only one God you can trust. And there's a God, that's it. Everything else is a rock or a tree. And on the other end, trust that he knows what he's doing with you. In other words, he's God. Let him be God in you. Let him be God for you. Let him be God in your heart, your life, and your choices. Let him really have the top.
Don't go after your neighbor's junk. Don't wish you had your neighbor's car. Consider what he's paying in insurance for that thing. Don't let yourself get so caught up in other people's stuff that you don't realize the blessings you have. You look at your neighbor's kids, and they're always so sweet and so kind, and they're always calling you, oh, hello, Mrs. Peterson. Oh, hi, Ms. thank you, Mrs. Peterson. And they're so sweet and so kind to you. Oh, yes, thank you very much, Mrs. Graff. Oh, yeah, they're such sweet little kids. And you go into your little rugrats there inside, and you're like, man, can't you be like the neighbor's kids? One, your kid hates that. And two, what are you thinking? These are the only kids you get. You can't trade them in. As much as you may want to, the neighbor's not going to want to trade either. She's seen your kids. Cannot covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't go after, don't wish you had any of your neighbor's stuff. It's a simple command. And it is one of the most important things about learning to be content. It is the whole point of learning to be content, right? I have mine. I'm good. God took care of me. Look at what he's done. Look at the blessings I am surrounded by. This can happen whether you are abased or whether you abound. Whether you're at the bottom or you're at the top. This can happen when you have your health and when you don't. This can happen when you're riding high and when you're in a crash. Because if your faith, if you're relaxed, if you're comfortable that God is God in your life and in this moment, you're good. You can be content even then. You ever gone to a hospital to visit somebody? You've gone to encourage them and listen to them for five minutes and they encouraged you? That's a content person. They know that they're in God's hands. They know that they're okay. That's a content person. Because they're comfortable that God's got it. No matter what the circumstances look like, God's got it. God's got it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul tries to teach this to Timothy. Remember Timothy? Timothy is sort of Paul's protege. He's raising up the next generation of preacher. He's kind of, he's kind of teaching him what it's like to do this and how to do this. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. You, should, you and I should all remember. You and all. You and I should all memorize this. Man, sometimes my tongue gets ahead of my brain. Now, godliness with contentment is what kind of gain? Great gain. If you have godliness, what is godliness? Godliness is a life that's in alignment with God. It's a life that follows after God. It's a life that emulates God. That's godliness with contentment. Can you have a life that's trying to imitate God and not be content? Yes, you can. You can. Lots of folks are trying to emulate God but aren't really content. They're frustrated. They're struggling with the fact that they're not there yet. Their faith doesn't, it doesn't allow them the imperfections of the moment. So they're, un- they're discontented. And the very fact that they're trying to emulate God sometimes is the worst part of their discontent. Because every time they slip, every time they don't measure up, they have no, there's no net. They're out there doing a trapeze work without a net. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world. This gets quoted a lot. And it's certain we can carry nothing out. 
and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Okay, stop right there. Could you be there? Could you, could you do that? If your basic needs were covered, I had a roof over my head, country songs about this, I've got food and I've got clothes. I don't need anything. I am good. Could you be content there? Just think about it. You know, there's a whole movement in our world called the tiny house movement. Have you heard of the tiny house movement? You know what the tiny house movement is about? Shrinking everything down to basically a 12-foot trailer. That that will contain everything you own and you'll be content. The tiny house movement is about making less of a footprint on the planet. It's about people downsizing to pretty much minimum. And being content. How's this feeling to you? Does this feel like I'm asking you to to, uh, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow Jesus? It happens. Does it sound like I'm making fun of the fourth car in your garage that you haven't driven in the last two years? Maybe. I only have one in my garage. There's too much stuff in there for another car. I have real discontent about all the junk in my garage. Bring your truck over. I'll send you away with some stuff. Some of it might even be Brenda's. So Jesus tucks, tucks this little phrase in too. He comes back to the same idea. He hits it as well. He says it differently. Now this to the disciples. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. How are you doing with that one? Are any of you worry works? Worry works? My grandmother could invent things to worry about. She could worry about stuff that no one else in the whole world would worry about. She was great at worrying. Are any of you that kind of person? You can just find a perfectly good thing to be going on. Your whole family could be gathered around your Thanksgiving table, sharing how much they're enjoying life, and suddenly in the back of your mind a worry creeps up. And it blossoms into a little worry flower. And then it turns black and stinky and you knew it was real. Any of you like that? You can make up things to worry about. I tell you, do not worry about your life. Your life is, not, is life not more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly Father feeds them. And I love the last line. Are you not much more valuable than they? Where's the value? Is this valuable on the slave market? You're worth a lot more than a bird on the slave market. If we sold you off as a slave, we get a lot more for you than a bird. Are you valuable on the meat market? This is a little more disturbing, but there's a whole lot more of you than there is in a bird. Are you valuable on the on the I, I don't know, on the, on the parts market? I mean, you've got a lot of parts people want all over the world. Now, the value here is not being laid on you by a culture or by people. It's being laid on you by God. What he is saying is you're of much more 
value to God than the birds, and he's taking care of them. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? He's saying, stop worrying about the what ifs. What if somebody got my bank account number and emptied my account? Some of you weren't worrying about that when you came in. (laughs) Now you're thinking, where did I last use my credit card? CV gas station. What if? You know what he's saying? He's saying God's big enough to take care of that. He's saying God is big enough to take care of all of your and my what ifs. What if? I turn to God. Still unconvinced? Some of you look unconvinced. Some of you would like me to get off this topic. We must learn to be content, therefore, we are naturally. So if you're feeling a little discontent in the world, look at your neighbor. They are just as bad as you. Don't smile when you look at them, just kind of peek at them out of the side of your eye. We're all in the same boat. I've been stirring at this pot for, the, pot for the last 15 minutes to try to get us all to understand that we're all in this same boat. We're all having the same issues. We're all dealing with it. It's not the culture in the world out there. It's us. It's the culture in the world in here. We're all struggling to find this kind of sense of contentment. When do I know when I'm content? How do I arrive at contentment? When can I finally put my feet up, relax, and say, it's good. I'm okay. God, I'm done. I'm not going to worry tomorrow. I'm not going to worry anymore today. I'm done. I'm good with you. And I'm okay. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Let's start with this. So it's saying, let your conduct be without covetousness. If it's talking about your conduct, it's talking about your activities, right? Your actions be without covetousness. So think about the conduct that you are involved with that might be creating covetousness in you. Are there any conducts, are there any areas in your life where you might be actually creating an element of covetousness in your life? You ever break out the flying magazine or the boat magazine or open up the internet and start looking at pictures of brand new cars? I bought a car six months ago, but I want to look at another new car. Does it create a little bit of, ooh, first there's kind of an excitement and then a little anticipation and then your old car doesn't look as good as it used to? Now the dirt on your dash means something to you and you're like, ah, Man, if I had a brand new car, there'd be no dirt on the dash. You know, if you took a cloth and went like this, there would be no dirt on your dash. But does your conduct move you toward this sense of discontent? Do do you look at your neighbor and say, you know, I think they're smarter than me. I, I have an office right next to Tim's. It's constant. I think they're smarter than me. He's not saying anything, but I think it's true. I think that's maybe why I think it's true. Be content with such things as you have. Stop. Be content with what you have. If you could never buy anything for the rest of your life, you would ruin the American economy. But just in case that happened, if you you could not buy anything for the rest of your life, could you be good with what you have? Your dress is going to wear out. Your shoes are going to get shabby chic, and then they're just going to get shabby. 
Are you going to be able to do that? Could, could you be content with what you have? Look at the next phrase. Speaking of Jesus, for he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Where does the Bible point you to the answer to this contentment problem, this covetousness issue? It says you can just go back to Jesus. He said, I will be with you. I will go with you wherever you are. I will be with you on the good days and the bad days, the abased days and the abounding days. I will go with you. I got you. I'll walk with you. I'll talk with you. I'll be with you. The scripture is telling us the answer to this contentment issue is in Christ. Does that make sense? It's kind of the answer to everything, right? Sometimes I feel like I'm telling a children's story because every time you tell a children's story and you ask the kids a question, you say, and so what do you think the answer is, boys and girls? They always give you the same answer. And it's pretty good. It's like like the right answer. 90% of the time, the kid looks up and says, Jesus, even the kid who's not paying attention knows that's the answer. Because it's the answer. You want to deal with this covetousness, the contentment problem? Hey, here's what you need to know about it. Jesus said, I'm there. You are never walking by yourself. You're never dealing with things by yourself. I am always there. The hardest days of your life, I am there. The days when you're celebrating, I am there. I don't leave you. I don't forsake you. I don't walk away from you. I am always beside you. Whether you're 9 or 90, I am going to be with you. The answer to contentment is that Christ walks every step of this planet with us. Can we remember, we are not permanent residents here. We're just passing through. That all of our stuff ends up in a giant cloud of smoke at the end. And it's okay. Jesus will take care of your need for stuff. Heaven is all about God saying, I have you covered. You don't have to go after anything. You don't have to fight for anything anymore. I have you covered. You know what earth is supposed to be for believers? A little tiny taste of heaven where we look out at the world around us. We look at the stuff in our house and we start to deal with that angst inside of us by saying, hey, I know what to do with this angst. Jesus has me covered. What if I lose a leg? What if I go blind? What if I get in a car wreck and then I can do nothing but lay on a bed and blink my eyes? Will I be by myself? Does he go there? Does God step down from his throne when things are going sideways in my life? Of course not. That's what the text is trying to say. I want to break this need and abundance thing down a little bit. What is it that I actually need? The Apostle Paul told Timothy, look, if you've got food and clothes, you're good. He didn't even tell Timothy he needed a house, just food and clothes. If you've got food and clothes, you're good. So what do I actually need? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What do you need? Shelter? Food, water? Raiment? Just your basic 
a rag to throw over your nakedness. That's the bottom level of needs, right? That's, that's what you need. You need things just to deal with the environment. Do you need anything else? Well, I think we have need, then we have want, right? If want is greater than need, and possessions are less than want, we have discontent. Get it? If, if my want is greater than my need and my possessions are less than my want, we automatically go to discontent. This drives the American economy. This drives every commercial on radio and television and, and whatever else you're looking at. They're trying to create a little interest, a little want in you so that you will want to get what they have. You may not need it. It may not even be on the hierarchy of needs. But suddenly it becomes a want. It starts to grow. My stuff doesn't match up with what I want, and so I'm a little uncomfortable. I'm a little discontent. I have a drawer full of ties. Do you know that does not appear on Maslow's hierarchy at all? (laughs) There are too many ties in that drawer. I need to throw some away or give some to someone who doesn't have as many ties. Why? Why do I have so many? Just in case I buy the pink suit. I'll need a tie that matches that, baby. Who knows? I might just be there. It's probably not going to be at the men's warehouse, but somebody will have that suit. What if I decide that's my color right now? I might need a tie to match. Get it? One of the key elements to overcoming discontent is thankfulness. Thankfulness is the lens that identifies your abundance. Did you catch that? Thankfulness is the lens that identifies your abundance. Are you practicing thankfulness? Are you thinking about it? Thankfulness is the lens that identifies your abundance. You start making a list of the things you're thankful for. You start working through, what am I thankful for? What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for my kids. thankful for my wife. thankful for the roof over my head. I'm thankful for the food that I eat probably too much of. I am thankful for ice cream. I am thankful for Leatherby's. I am thankful for my church. I am thankful that most of you are not grumpy. I am thankful that the bills get paid every month at my house and at my church. There's a lot of stuff to be thankful for. I am thankful for being bald some days. When I don't have to wash my hair, I can do it with just a washcloth. (laughs) When I roll out of bed, I am thankful that I do not have bed head. I just have head. There's a lot to be thankful for. Thankful begins to focus your lens on what is abundant in your life. As you begin to be thankful, you start to see the blessings you have. You start to feel it. You start to understand it. Possessions plus thankfulness equals contentment. It's not not so much what you have. It's the way you think about what you have that produces contentment. I met a man. He owns a restaurant. Restaurants in my hometown, it's actually on the corner of a street where there used to be a jack-in-the-box. It might even be in the jack-in-the-box building. I didn't look at it close enough to know if they changed the building. He was thinking about building a restaurant in Rockland. 
He had some family up this way. He bought some property up here. He was thinking about building a restaurant up here. And we were talking about this restaurant, and he was talking about how long it would take the commute from Fremont to Rockland and make sure that the restaurant was running appropriately and stuff. And, you know, I could have my relative take care of it. But then what if I get in business with my relative? What if? Well, if I get in business with my relative, it could ruin our relationship. What if they don't run it right? I'm going to have to come back and forth a lot. And he just started thinking about that. Started thinking about it. And I had known a little bit about this guy. I know that he caters for a lot of businesses around town. In fact, he caters for a lot of the, the big businesses around town because he doesn't charge so much money. So I asked him, I said, so why is, why is it that you're able to cater so much cheaper? Do you find like, you know, the secret place for buying stuff cheaper? He said, no. He said, you just have to decide what you're content with. He said, I'm not going to build a restaurant here. It's too much extra trouble. He said, yeah, it'll bring extra money, but I need to just be content. He said, the reason that I am able to to undersell all my competitors is because I'm content with making a smaller margin. I'm okay with it. I'm not actually trying to undersell them. I just know what I'm content with. What a peaceful life. What a nice breath of fresh air. Possessions that are greater than need, which I think is where I live since I've looked at my garage, plus thankfulness brings forth praise. Where does the praise go? Who do we praise? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. From who? From our Father. Who do we praise? Lord, I have more than I need. Thank you. Lord, I have, I have abundance in my life. Thank you. I have great blessings in my life. Thank you. And as I begin to enumerate those thanks, it begins to build contentment. It begins to spill out in praise. Is this making sense to you? Here's, my, here's what I want to say. You want more contentment in your life? Thank God more. You want more praise in your life? Thank God more. Look at that little rugrat running around your house and realize, hey, you know, he may be crazy, but he's my kind of crazy. That crazy is a lot like me, and I'm glad he's here. Look at that spouse who's peacefully sleeping next to you, still. And say, man, she didn't leave me. I am thankful for that because there are plenty of opportunities for that to have happened. When you get in your car and you turn the key and it comes on, there's a moment there when you could just say, thank you, dear Jesus. And you have to be careful about this because you can get into the thank you, Jesus habit and it means nothing to you. You know what I mean? person says, how are you doing? You say, fine. That doesn't mean anything to you. You're not even defining fine. You can get into the thank you, thank you Jesus habit. And it means nothing. But if, if you get into a thank you, Jesus habit where you actually think, whew, that's cool. It started. And started again. Now, some of you have had old enough cars that every time was a thankfulness moment, right? Some of us have driven cars where it's, it's a praise to the Lord that it started today because it didn't start yesterday. Or I tried four times and whew, it started Okay, I'm going to make it to work today. You drive that baby 100 miles and it doesn't die. You get out of the car, you close the door gently, and you go, thank you, Lord. 
you've been driving a heap, you know what this is like. The problem is when you stop driving a heap and you bought a dependable car, you stop being thankful. How dumb is that? To be able to say to Jesus, thank you that I had enough money to buy a car that I don't have to worry about every time I turn the key on. Thankfulness leads to contentment, leads to praise. Double down on your thankfulness, please. Because we live in an unthankful society that is discontent. We can be thankful for people who are serving us in the political realm that we disagree with. Do you want their job? Be thankful that somebody was willing to take it. We can be thankful that we can pray for them. We can be thankful that what they wanted to have happen didn't pass. I don't care, but you can find things to be thankful for. The concept of counting your blessings really does build contentment in your life. So what is the practical application of this? Be thankful. Thank God. Thank Jesus. Thank God. Thank Jesus. Praise God. Praise Jesus. It'll change your life. It'll make a big impact. By faith, I believe that every blessing comes from God. In faith, I am following God. And because of faith, I could be completely content. If I can, sit down, relax, and know that God's got it, I'm good. Preaching from here would be fun. I doubt it. Somebody behind me said I might fall asleep. If I do, I deserve it. And so this last text, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. I'm not at all exhausting the possibilities in Scripture. There's a lot more. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned. Who's the one man? Who's the one man who caused death to reign on our planet? Satan is. If by one man, death reigned through the one. Much more. Much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Not only do you get the blessing and the abundance of his being with you every step of the way, cradle to grave, every step of every day, high days and low days, abased days and abounding days. Not only do you get his life walked up, wrapped up with yours every single day, the promise of scripture is, in the end, you get heaven too. I have come that you might have life, have it more abundantly, and ultimately eternally. I have come that your life may abound and be blessed. I have come to give you great gifts. I have come to make your life more than you thought it could be. No matter what the circumstances are. On a bad day, I can make it better. On a medium day, I can make it better. On a great day, I can make it better. I have come to be part of every part of your life. I have come to give you purpose and meaning and direction and assurance. I have come to let you live a life you love and reign eternally. 
to sit on a throne, to be, in, to be ensconced in heaven with God, to be a part of his family, to be one of those people with the crown you throw at his feet. I have come that your life might be better than you can imagine in eternity. Do you understand we have a lot to be thankful for? Can we practice? Can we get in the habit of saying, yes, it's a good day. I have blessings. It, I know this is difficult, and I, we may have to remind each other, hey, have you been thankful at all? What, what Tim asked us to do this morning, did you see Jesus at all this week? Just to remind ourselves of the impact of Christ in our week gives us a moment to pause and be thankful. That thankfulness be, breeds contentment. That thankfulness breeds praise. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have the best life possible in this sneaky little planet where you live. I know you live in a garbage dump. I understand. You live in the worst place in the universe. Nobody wants to live there. Just you guys are stuck there. I know you're all terminal. I know that you're all quarantined. But I will not leave you or forsake you. I will walk through it all with you. I will be quarantined with you. I will be terminal with you so that I might take you home. Let's pray. Father in heaven, against our discontent. I pray against the spirit that doesn't think you're enough. I pray against the attitudes that lack thankfulness. I pray against the days when we wake up and take for granted how blessed we really are. Lord, I ask that you would give us not only a spirit of thankfulness, but a spirit of abundance, that we recognize that we have so much, we can give some stuff away. We have so much time, we can give some away. We have so much wealth, we can give some away. We have so much stuff, we can give some away. Lord, help us to emulate you in that practice, to thank you and praise you and demonstrate you to this world. Lord, I pray for a different kind of life going from this day forward for all of us, that we would be more thankful and that we would rest in the contentment of knowing that you are with us, that you love us, you care about us, and you desire to take us home. In Jesus' name. Amen.